How Not to Be Wrong by Jordan Ellenberg. One sentence summary. How Not to Be Wrong shows you that math is really just the science of common sense and that studying a few key mathematical ideas can help you assess risk better, make the right decisions, navigate the world effortlessly and be wrong a lot less. My favorite quote from the author is, Knowing mathematics is like wearing a pair of x-ray specs that reveal hidden structures underneath the messy and chaotic surface of the world. Jordan Ellenberg Over the past few weeks, all roads have led towards math and statistics for me. One of my favorite writers, Ned Eliasson, has been dealing a lot with fighting the biases that damage our decision-making by cataloging mental models on his blog. A lot of the books I've read through Blinkist recently were on how to use statistics and math to make your life easier. Finally, three of the classes I attended last week were also about statistics. For example, one on Friday explained Bayes' theorem. Because you can never learn enough about navigating the world in a better way, I feel the positive changes from studying these mental biases keep compounding, which is why I'm happy to announce that today's book, How Not to Be Wrong, falls into the same category. Renowned mathematician Jordan Ellenberg has been writing about his mathematical research for the general public for over 15 years, which surely helped in making this book a bestseller and one of Bill Gates' favorites. Here are three lessons from it to help you be wrong less often. 1. Mathematics is mostly based on common sense and we use it more than we think. 2. Probability and risk are two different things. 3. The findings of scientific research are often wrong for three reasons. I hope you're ready for yet another software upgrade for your mind. Because numbers don't lie. Let's go. How not to be wrong lesson one. You use mathematics more than you think because it's mostly just common sense. This answers the question, what's an unexpected place we use math in in our everyday lives? The most beautiful thing about math is that it allows you to determine with 100% certainty whether something is true or not. Of course, the occasions where you apply Pythagoras' theorem in daily life are few, but that doesn't mean you don't use the underlying principles of math. Jordan thinks of math as the science of not being wrong. This makes solving even common problems by intuitively using logic and reason math problems, though you'd never call them that. For example, in World War II, military advisors looked at all the American planes that had returned from Europe, covered in bullet holes. Because the fuselage had often had a lot more holes in it than the engine, they suggested better protecting that part of the plane. However, one mathematician pointed out that those planes were only the ones that survived and returned home, suggesting that the ones who did take lots of shots to the engines were probably those that never made it back. This is called survivorship bias which is the mistake of focusing on only the positive results or data points when analyzing things. It's the same force at play when you hear about another huge startup exit because the media always neglected thousands of companies that fail. How not to be wrong lesson 2. We often use probability to assess risk, but they're not the same. This answers the question, what is the difference between probability and risk? Here's another mistake we often make. Confusing probability and risk. Because we use probability to assess how risky a bet, an investment, or an action we want to take is, we think that's all there is to it, but it's not. For example, if you went to play roulette at a casino, you could simply calculate the probability of winning versus losing money in the long run by computing what's called your expected value. 
On a French roulette wheel there are 37 numbers, ranging from 0 to 36. Half are red, half are black, with the 0 being green, a neutral color, which you can't bet on. If you bet $1 on red, you have an 18 over 37 chance of doubling your money, because 18 of the 13, 37 numbers are red, and an 18 over 37 chance of losing that dollar. However, because there's an extra 1 over 37 chance of losing your dollar, because you will also lose if the wheel lands on 0, your expected value becomes 18 over 37 times 1, which is you win, minus 19 over 37 times 1, you lose, which is minus 0.027 dollars, or 2.7 cents. Knowing that in the long run you will lose money, you can then decide not to take this risk. But that's not all the risk a bet entails. Now consider this example. Would you rather get $50,000 or have a 50-50 chance of losing $100,000 or getting $200,000? The expected value is the same, which is $50,000. But because the negative result in the second scenario would be really bad, the risk is a lot higher, even though it's not reflected in the probability at all. You can't use just probability to assess risk. You also have to think about how bad potential negative outcomes really are, if they do occur, and take that into account. How not to be wrong lesson 3. You should always question the findings of scientific research because there are several problems with them. This answers the question, how trustworthy is scientifically studied and researched information? New study shows milk is related to Alzheimer's. This study reveals how much work you really do while at the office. New headlines like these pop up every single day. But Jordan says we should always take these with a grain of salt, because of three reasons. Sometimes, even insignificant results can, can pass statistic tests. For example, with a standard significance level of 95%, 5,000 out of 100,000 genes tested for causing schizophrenia will show up as positive by chance. But imagine only 10 really cause schizophrenia. Then that result is useless. 2. Unsuccessful studies are rarely published. This is the exact survivorship bias described above. If 19 studies testing chocolate for causing constipation fail, but one finds a significant correlation, that last, 20th one, is usually published, changing your perception of the issue completely. And 3. Researchers fake results. Even though they have great intentions, researchers are humans too, so if they need just one more percentage point in the results to be positive in order to comply with scientific standards, they might slightly tweak the data, because they're convinced what they found is true. As you can see, statistical errors sneak their way all the way up into the, even the highest circles of scientific research, so it's normal that they have a tremendous impact on you too. But by becoming aware of them, you're taking the first step towards avoiding mistakes caused by biases. Like a true mathematician. My personal takeaways from How Not To Be Wrong for 2017. This was an awesome book, or, or set of blinks, I shall say. Um, really, really loved it. Uh, have several more points to add and want to clarify the f numbers example again because going over these is always, I know it's it might feel a bit rushed and it's not very easy to understand these things, especially I find when you hear about numbers on audio, it's hard because you 
don't have them visualized in front of you. So we'll go over that again, just in case. Um, first of all, survivorship bias. I think you got the idea, right? So when we hear about a new rock star, Justin Bieber, uh, we hear about the latest IPO from Uber for hundreds of billions of dollars uh, and so on. These are only only the successful cases that survived, right? So the long tail of all the others that got left in the dust is not included in this information. And that's very important to take in, right? I don't know, millions of people are freelancers, but there's only a handful making a million dollars a year. Of course, right? That's the nature of the game. Like making lots of money is rare, so not many people will. But when you only read about the successful ones, that might trick you into thinking hmm if they're doing certain things this is the exact problem with people searching for habits of successful people i recently wrote about that because what people always do is they look at a set of successful people like warren buffett bill gates billionaires millionaires quadrillionaires and then they look at and say hmm what do they have in common right so they pick out a subset of those and then they say, well, those guys read a lot and those guys wake up at 5 a.m. And those guys set specific goals every day, blah, 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 blah. And then they say, that must be what makes me successful, right? And it's all horseshit because what it does is nothing. Because for every example, you can find a counterexample. And in that article, I listed a whole bunch of people like who wake up early, who don't wake up early, who sleep a lot, who sleep a little who set goals, who set absolutely no goals, right? Who read, who don't read, and so on. There's an example for every kind because the only thing people know that are successful is who they are. And that's the only thing that matters. If you know who you are, then you cannot, you cannot care about survivorship bias because you'll just do what it takes you to be successful. So again, survivorship bias makes a whole lot of the information out there not unnecessary or irrelevant, but puts it very much into context and makes it a lot weaker than we usually think it is. So that's something you can be aware of when you look at the news, for example. Probability versus risk. This is cool because I had this topic in economics just now where we talked about insurance companies. The reason insurance companies work as a concept is that by the law of large numbers, which means if you use sufficiently large enough people that you insure as an insurance company, you diversify their risk across the board right because you insure so many that never everyone is going to have an accident at all at the same time so that you can always pay the ones that do have accidents with those with the money from those that don't um so what risk uh, what insurance companies do that's why economically speaking their risk uh, insurance companies are risk neutral they don't care about taking on risk right so they're not happy to take on your risk by you getting insured there, but they also don't care. They're not afraid of risk because they know that they will diversify. They will spread it across so many people that they don't mind. And that's their whole business model, right? They take on risk you want to get rid of, like falling off the roof and breaking your leg um, and, and not having the money to pay for the surgery. They take that risk for you because by the law of large numbers, they don't care as much about it as you do. But that has nothing to do with the probability of the risk, right? So because falling from your roof and breaking your leg is really bad, you really want to avoid that thing. And even if the probability is just 1%, 
like, do you want to take that chance? That's the question, right? So the probability of it actually happening might be very low so that rationally speaking, if it was something else, you would say, of course, like, I'll take that. I don't need insurance for that. But then there's the risk of, of like, when that actually happens, like, how bad is this going to be? And that's what you have to take into account as well. So you can't just use math, right, for these things. Or otherwise, you will sometimes get an oversimplified solution at the very least. Okay, the numbers example. The whole point of the roulette example was basically me saying that roulette always spins it in a, in a way that you have a negative expected value because otherwise the casino wouldn't make money. So if they don't get your average expected value to be negative, then they couldn't make money. It, does, it just wouldn't work, right? So if you, were, if you won money with 100% certainty in the long run, if you keep playing forever, which most people can't because they don't have infinite money, but just in theory, then technically someone could come in and play as long as he wants until, if they had infinite money, until the casino was broke. Because on average, they would win. And um, so in the long run, if they play long enough, they will win everything the casino has. And that's why the casino has to design the games in a way that give you a negative expected value right from the beginning. And so in that case, even if you just do the simplest bet, you bet on a color, red, you always have a slightly a slight negative expected value because the chances for you losing will always be slightly bigger, at the very least, than the chances of you winning. And that's the only reason casinos work and actually are profitable. And for that last example, again, to, to run through that, is you get 50,000. So that's a lottery I'm offering you. I also learned that in economics. One is the certain lottery that with a 100% chance, you get $50,000. The second lottery, where you have a 50-50 chance of losing 100,000 or getting 200,000, has the same expected value. Why? Well, because with a chance of 0 0.5, half, you lose 100,000, so multiply that, that's minus 50,000. And you have to add to that the other half of the probability, 50% chance of winning 200,000, so that's so half of 200,000 is plus 100,000. So you have negative 50,000 on the one hand and positive 100,000 on the other hand, and that's in expected value is positive 50,000. So you, you what you would expect mathematically from this bet is that you from this game is that you would gain 50,000. The problem is if you can only play this game once, you only have one shot and your final result is not going to be 50,000 but either 200,000 or negative 100,000. And there is risk in there that is not reflected in the probability, right, in this game. So you have to consider how risk averse or how risk loving you are to take that game. Because the other lottery you have is a degenerate lottery, that's what it's called, uh, of getting 50,000 with certainty. Because you will certainly get this result. There is no risk in there. It's eliminated because you have the certainty equivalent of what you would get in the other lottery on average. And if you're risk averse, and most people are, you would, at least slightly, you would of course take the 50,000, right? Take the 50,000 cash and don't risk it. You might get four times that, yeah, but you also might have to bring double that. So... And that's a risk most people don't want to take. So as you can see, it's not as easy. You can't just say like, those are the numbers. That's what I'm going to do. Because again, there sometimes is a lot of risk that is not included in the probability. And lastly, to just quickly add to the 
question about scientific findings. Um, another thing I would like to mention besides that only successful studies are published or often researchers fake the results to make those, their studies successful in the first place and sometimes you, you get results that pass the test that shouldn't but are because of the experiment design. There's one more thing which is that often, very often, the sample sizes for the studies are really small. So I think a study is only co considered scientifically valid with n larger than 30, which means sample size is bigger than 30. So if you do any sort of trial or experiment, if you have less than 30 people, it technically doesn't matter. But even that is a very low number, right? I think it's, it's, it's overdue that we sort of revamp this or improve this. Um, because you might find out that there's 10 studies done on willpower and they all only cite 20 people for the experiment. That's not much. That's 400 people in 20 different experiments. How, how much of a conclusion can you draw from that? That's nothing, right? I would rather have one study with 1,000 people for one specific thing than 20 different ones about 20 different, slightly different ideas with different designs and so on that really aren't comparable. So keep all of this in mind. Uh, I think the number one thing you can take away from this summary is to always ask questions and to always ask, why is this the way it is and is this true? I think that's our great starting points on how not to be wrong. I will see you on the next summary.